Hey, everybody. What do you think we're talking about today? I mean, sometimes the series name is like, I'm not sure what they mean. And we get done, and you still don't know what we meant. And then this time, I think I, think I got this. I got this. I got this. Uh, now, before, because some of you are like, have we become one of those churches? Let's just, just listen, okay? So in order for me to talk about this subject, because I've got like a range of kids in, in our house, right? So like three years old, and we're about to take one to college, and I can't think of it. Just never mind. Uh, anyways, we got, we got what, what their normal is, is what I'm saying. They're normal. They have no idea how not normal it was recently, right? So like what their perspective is interesting because they're like, oh, you guys dealt with that? Or you guys, you guys went through that? Like, yep, uphills both way to school, right? They're like, yeah, it was, I know that doesn't make sense. Don't ask questions. But, but so I got to set the stage for us to know what we're talking about and why we're talking about it. So to do so, I got to take it to history. I don't know if you liked history class. I didn't. But let me talk to you about history. History of women's rights. This is important. In 1848, in, in our neck of the woods, the first women's rights convention was held in Seneca Falls, New York. Now, here's why I bring this up. That's the first convention that basically a gathering of people were like, hey, let's talk about like, the rights that women have in our country. What's interesting is that was held, that convention, in what you and I would call a Wesleyan church building. Now, some of you are like, still, because you're like, I'm glad I'm a part of a non-denominational church. Well, you're not actually, sorry. Uh, we, our church was started, our, our church was started by the Wesleyan church. So I, I thought, interesting tidbits, we're talking about this, that the denomination that started this church also facilitated the first women's rights convention a long time ago. Just nerdy information, you're like, what do I do with this? Well, you think about it later, and like, that's kind of cool, that's it. So 1920, uh, women were given the right to vote. This is where I start to talk to my kids. You're like, and they're like, it wasn't always? It's like, nope. Allowed to serve, 1948, allowed to serve as permanent members of the military. Rather than, we just really need you right now. Like, hey, we need you all the time. And it, I, I'm thinking, 1948, wow. Like that, okay. 1968 is when finally all 50 states allowed women to serve on the jury. Now, some of you are like, I would like that right taken away. I know some of you are like... <laughs> We, we went too far. We went too far. No, no. What, what's, what's interesting about that detail, and you'll see this come up through the sermon, is the jury was interesting because uh, there is a lot of history that says that, that women didn't carry the same authority and voice and ability to tell the truth as men did. Some of you are going to be you're so offended by some of the things I say. I'm not saying. I'm just telling you history. But it shows you that in our own nation, our own nation, as close to home as home, we have not always said that women are equal. Now, it's not just the United States of America kind of history thing that I'm telling you. If you were to stretch out across the globe and across time and all that kind of stuff, let me show you some what I would call ancient history details about women. One, women's names were not included in genealogies. What's fascinating about this is without women, you don't have genealogies. You tracking me on this? It's just one of those details. You're like, that didn't seem fair. If anyone's going to get included. It, but culturally, 
when you were telling the, the family tree, women got left out. Some of you, you're stirred up right now. You're like, what do I do? Well, listen to the whole sermon. Uh, another one is if you were telling a story, you would leave the names of the women out of it. You'll even find examples in the Bible where Jesus fed 5,000. You're like, that's amazing. Actually, it was more than that. 5,000 men and women and children. It's interesting how like, culturally you're like, so the Bible's against women? No, it, it was written by people in the culture. So when you write in the midst of your culture, whether you know you are or aren't, you're writing in the context of how you've been influenced and what was normal and what was accepted. So this is significant because what we've all got to be on the same page about is this, that for a long, long time, women have been told, whether directly or indirectly, that they're not as significant, their voice isn't as significant, they don't play as a significant of a role. In fact, we've limited their roles to certain things, and we felt okay about it. Now, nowadays, we're like, not anymore, David. And I know. I got a daughter, and I love to tell her, like, oh, you can do that. Don't let anyone. In fact, if, if anyone tells you you can't, you, you give them a number, right? Like, I, I love, as a dad, I'm like, oh, you, oh, you can but what's interesting, the reason I tell you the history, because I know not all of us love history, the reason I tell you the history is, is God doesn't hold the same opinion as what our history tells us about ourselves. God does not say, oh, you guys, you guys got this one right. Don't give women rights. No, 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 no. In fact, in fact, our, our Bible tells us differently that, that God from the beginning has been like, no, significant, valuable, important. In fact, here's a cool example. Jesus. Our mission as a church is to show people who Jesus is. So remembering some of the history I've taught you today, class, let me show you Jesus' genealogy. Abraham was, Isaac was, Jacob was, Judah was, whose mother was Tamar. Wait a minute, wait. Someone has stepped outside of culture for a moment. You're not supposed to include women in the genealogy. You're like, some of us, we don't, we're still not getting it. We're like, but she was mom. You got to include mom. Not in this culture. So you might say, well, I bet they made a mistake, right? The Bible's got a mistake. They just, someone was like, oops, I, I'm sorry, I know I'm not supposed to. Well, if you keep reading, you realize it wasn't a mistake. Verse 5, mother was Rahab, mother was Ruth. If you keep reading, you'll learn about Bathsheba. You're like, wait a minute. In all of the genealogies that you and I read about in the Bible, we're talking about Jesus' genealogy, you know, the Savior, included in his genealogy are females. What you and I should glean from this is God seems to have known something culture didn't know. <laughs> is that women are important, women have a voice, women are significant. Stop. Stop with the you're not important. Then to mess things up, I don't know if you know, so if you begin to plug some of this in, you're like, okay, 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 okay. Let me show you something that, I just want to preface this. What I'm about to show you, I did not say. Some of you are like, man, my pastor says something. No, I didn't, let me show you. Here is an ancient quote 
that should like upset you, okay? This is what it should do. I hate to tell you what it should do to you, but here's what it should do to you. Christianity can't be true because, why can't it be true? The written accounts of the resurrection are based on the testimony of women. Oh. Some of you are like, I'm never going to Greece now. That's so offensive. (laughs) What I want you to see is how the ancient world during the time of Jesus but even following Jesus, how they saw women. And what should it be, I don't know, I'm not gonna make you raise your hands, but let's say that there was a day that you begin to doubt a little bit about God. Is the story about Jesus real and all that kind of stuff? Well, what's significant is if women were included and it was culturally unacceptable and people would choose not to believe in the resurrection of Jesus by including women, What does that say about the details? Could they maybe have just flat out been true? And they're like, well, we can't leave it out. Some people aren't going to like this. Timothy Keller says this, and I think this is important. For them, that was a major problem. In ancient societies, as you know, women were marginalized, and the testimony of women was never given much credence. And so if you don't know this, we have decade after decade after decade, centuries, you would say even, of saying, you know what? Men, you can lead. Men, you can talk. Ladies, go make dinner. Ooh, you feel that? I'm, not, I'm just telling you what culture has done. And it's leaked into the church. In fact, I think... In, in multiple incidents that, that, that the church has echoed a little bit of what culture was doing for a long time, where the church didn't let women, dot, dot, dot. Huh. There's a tweet that, that I saw. I'm not going to show you every tweet that I see, but <laughs> I thought this was significant for what we're talking about. Dear church, Jesus protected women, empowered women, honored women publicly, released the voice of women, confided in women, was funded by women. I'll talk about that later. Celebrated women by name, learned from women, respected women, and spoke of women as examples to follow. Your turn. It's good, isn't it? I don't know who the guy is. I'm not vouching for him. But I'm like, hmm. Now, some of you, I love you. I do. I love all of you. But some of you are like, I think Pastor David's gone woke. (laughs) And you might think that that we as a church are like, well, you know, women's rights are getting talked about. So we as a church, yep, you know, let's let's do this. Let's let's, let's talk about this. And so what we're going to do is no men are allowed to lead anymore. Um, It's going to be all women all the time. Everything just, listen. Right now, our world is, is noticing, I think, some major injustices and wrongs that have happened. But the world is overcorrecting. If you don't know what overcorrection is, and I'm about to get on a soapbox, so deal with it just for a second. Um, overcorrection, making too much of a correction. For those of you who are like, you know, I, that's why we don't need dictionaries. You're like, I knew that. Um, adjusting too much, adjusting too much in an attempt to offset an error or a problem. If you need driving advice, here you go. If you're on the, driving on the road and let's say you got distracted because you can't seem to stop texting and all of a sudden you hear the rumble strips. Do we know what the rumble strips are? Well, some of you, you're like, oh no, and you overcorrect. 
you turn back on, or, or maybe you, you went off the road a little bit more, and you overcorrect, here is a driving tip that causes wrecks, is what you will be actually taught is slow down and slowly correct, or some of you just need to pull over, just pull over, and just restart, <laughs> refocus, right, just maybe let whoever else drive, I don't know, but, but, but what happens when you overcorrect, you typically wreck, that's what happens. You're, many of us are going, our culture is wrecking. Yes, because we're overcorrecting. What we're doing is we've been racist for a while, so we're going to treat people based on their race. We've been, we've been chauvinistic, and so we need to hire someone. Make sure you only interview women. That's it. Just, you see, we're, we're overcorrecting, and we're starting to put people in places and roles. We're starting to even just look at people, and we're looking at them through the lens of political correctness or just not wanting to upset someone. That's not the way of God. The way of God is like, hey, I made, I made both of them, men and women, and I was happy about it. And they're equal. Treat them equal. So you and I have got to say, okay, God, what do you want me to learn? This series is not some sort of a, ladies, glad you're here. Um, we designed a series just for you ladies so that you would like me and us and think we're cool. And, uh, no. In fact, I want to make sure my boys listen to this sermon maybe multiple times. And I even, I recorded it on video just to practice this week and I sent it to my daughter. I'm like, what'd you think? Just like a good teenager, she didn't listen to it, so don't worry about it. <clears throat> Just full disclosure. This is not a woke series. This is not an overcorrection. Our mission has not changed. I want to show you who Jesus is. And Jesus, the entire time, was like, I want anyone and everyone involved in my mission. That's what we're doing. So with all that said, sorry I had to... Take half the sermon time just to tell us that. So let's talk about Mary Magdalene. Yeah, now, now listen. Um, just this, this is not um, Jesus' mom. This is not, because I know, because there's lots of Marys. I'm just going, uh, there's another story of a Mary who used her hair and perfume to, to clean Jesus' feet. Not, not the same Mary. Uh, this is Mary Magdalene, who, who is listed in the Bible 12 times. Now, why that's significant? 12, yeah, 12 times. Who cares? 12 times. That's, she's, she's named more than most of the disciples are named in the Bible. I don't mess with it. Like, what? what? Some of you are like, I don't, I don't trust them. Fine, Google it. Don't actually Google it. Just look for yourself. <laughs> Let me show you, so you get context of who she is and where she's from. Uh, Mary Magdalene is from Magdala. You catching on how she was named and how we, she's, she's from Magdala, uh, which uh, she was on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. If you don't know much about the Sea of Galilee or what was going on, then Sea of Galilee stories like Jesus walking on water. If you've ever read that story, that really happened. It's amazing. Sea of Galilee. A lot of things happened around this sea. Well, she's from the western side of the Sea of Galilee from a town that was notorious for Fishing, like this all makes sense, but not just fishing, is they were well known for their smoked fish. The reason I bring that up is I just, I think barbecue's fantastic. 
And what's important to know about where she's from is it was known as a town that wasn't destitute, wasn't struggling. Like I was raised in a town, a, a GM plant town that is basically nearly dead. And, and it's not what it used to be because the cars aren't really made there anymore. Well, this town thrived. Fishing industry, selling other things. And so that tells us a little about Mary. Mary likely grew up around money and was able to make money. That's important. I'll draw attention to it later. We know some details about her, but we don't know all of her character, all of the details of her traits. So why am I bringing her up in a sermon, right? Because there's a couple lessons. If you'll let her teach you, you get to learn two lessons today. And I think they're significant. All of us, men and women. So let's learn about it. Luke chapter 8. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. Cool. He took his 12 disciples with him. All right. Along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Interesting. What gets more interesting is it lists their names. Among them, so hopefully class we've not forgotten already, we don't list women in this culture, right? That's, that's normal. So already another example in the life of Jesus going, oh, not only, not only were they like freed from demons and, and disease and all that kind of stuff, let's name them. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod's business manager. Susanna, and many others who were contributing, who were contributing from their own resources. Do I need to describe this? They were funding to support Jesus and his disciples. The Bible just told you that there's a group of ladies financially funding the movement of what you and I call Christianity. Stuff we just didn't learn, did we? Also, there's order in the Bible. When you list people, whoever you list first, that's a big deal. Mary gets listed first, which tells us a little bit that she was in leadership of some sort over something. We're not entirely sure what, but she's listed first. It also mentions the wife of the manager of Herod stuff. You're like, Herod, 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 Christmas. No. Herod's son is this Herod. This is the Herod who kills John the Baptist. Still not a guy that you want to cozy up with. But you got a guy who's anti-Christianity, and he's got the wife of his business manager funding the thing. I love it. I love it. So Mary is helping fund this, makes sense from where she's from. But let's talk about the demon thing. She had seven demons. Theologians kind of split here. We're not quite sure. So I'll tell you both. Some think it was literally seven. Some think it was the number seven that Scripture will often use to describe it was in the most intense level of demonic possession you can have. It, there's just, it, it's all, what I'm going to tell you is if you're possessed by seven demons, you are far, 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 far from God. You're in a dark place that most of us have never, ever experienced. 
And it's there that we learn that Mary's story with Jesus starts with slavery, then goes to freedom. We don't know all the details, but it goes from slavery to evil to freedom. She goes from demonic possession to funding Jesus and the disciples so the message gets out. Freedom. What's the lesson? Here's a lesson for you. First one, your story with Jesus can start with freedom. Some of us, we've got to be reminded of this because we're thinking that to get close to God, I've got to be extra good. And when you're extra bad, you're removed from God and unable to access God. That's, that's what many of us will think. So, so sometimes people will even stop going to church because they'll make some stupid choices and civil, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So like, well, I can't go to church because I'll be a hypocrite if I go. I've got to kind of clean things up. No, no, the best moments to go spend time with Jesus is when you've got specifics to bring to him. And what we get from Mary is that she was possessed by demons and encounters Jesus and he frees her. This is a wonderful reminder that no matter what's going on in your life, can you go to Jesus? Yes. Should you go to Jesus? Yes. Stop thinking, but I'll be a hypocrite. No. Hypocrites, I think, are the ones going, I don't need Jesus. See, John 8, you see this language he uses. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who, who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Go to Jesus. Mary's teaching us this. She, I think if she were here, she'd be like, go to Jesus. Especially now that she's probably spent some time in heaven. But anyways, Romans 6 tells us so succinctly, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Go to Jesus. So many of us are like, all right, what do I do? Chill out for a second. Today's trend looks like this. Submit to no one. My life, my way, I'll improve myself. My own time, my own pace. My church, it's the hills. My church, it's when I work out. My church is the, and we begin to kind of create our own definition of how we're going to approach God Mary Magdalene did not do this. She just let Jesus in. It wasn't about like, well, but here's what I, how, how I kind of want to, and this is what I kind of feel. The evidence that we get is she's possessed. She encounters Jesus and then submits to him, submits to him like he's her rabbi. In other words, you tell me what to do, and I'll do exactly that, and I won't question it. I'll just do it. She let Jesus forgive her. She let Jesus lead her. She let Jesus teach. She was submissive to him and saying, what do you need? You need money? I got money. Here you go. You want this? Okay, I'm going to help you. And so she was, this is our approach. Don't try to be so good, so churchy. You need a reverend to tell you that? Let Jesus have whatever you've been withholding. Just let him. And you'll experience freedom. That's lesson one. Lesson two, I got to bring you to Easter. It's not Easter for those of you who get confused. It's not Easter. But John chapter 20 is going to take you into what you might think, well, we just went to Easter. So Jesus has died and been put into a tomb. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene 
came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. You and I are like, yeah! She's like, "Uh uh-oh. See, what we know is, is she was a part of taking care of the body and making sure the body got put into the tomb. She was aware that Roman soldiers had been stationed there so that no one could steal the body and no one would do anything wrong. And so when she shows up to a stone that could not be moved by one human being and sees that it's moved, she's now going, she's distraught, going, what in the world has played out? So that's why we pick her up in verse 11, distraught. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. Yeah. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Now stop. You probably just missed something. Let me can I connect two dots. This is, this is good. This is important. The Bible just told us that she stoops in and she sees two angels. You got me? The two angels aren't just like hanging out. The Bible tells us where the angels were. The Bible tells us the angels, one was at the, the foot and one was at the head of where Jesus had been laid down. Some of you might be thinking, well, maybe those were good seats and that's why they were sitting there. I think it's logical. No, I got to take you all the way back to the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, the box that they carried around that represented literally the presence of God. Where it went, God went and God was. It represented the covenant that God made with Israel. Now, she stoops in, looks inside, and you've got angels mirroring the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant had angels on each side, signifying a new covenant has been made. It shows you that even in this moment that she's stooping in looking and she's freaked out, you have the angels sitting exactly marking off the Ark of the Covenant going, God is a God of detail saying there's a new covenant. It's a big deal, but we, we, we read it and we're like, I, 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 they sat down. Who cares? No, God cares about details. This is a powerful moment if, if, you, if you know that. Let me, let me, let me keep reading this. This is, this is big. Uh, Dear woman, why are you crying? She was crying. Uh, because they have taken away my Lord. And I don't know where, I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Honest mistake. (laughs) Sir, if you've taken him away, tell me where you put him, and I'll go and get him. And I don't know in what tone that he says this. But he looks at her and says, Mary. And she finally sees him for who he is. And all she cries out is, Rabbi, Rabbi, teacher. Which gives us another example that she was a disciple of Jesus. She had been following Jesus with Jesus, saw him as teacher. And then one of my favorite verses that I make sure, I make sure that my children know this verse. John 20, 18. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. I mean, you're like, yeah. <laughs> then she gave them his message, his message, Jesus' message. 
the first person to deliver the good news that Jesus is alive was a woman. I'm going to sit over here. Just let you look at that for a little bit. You may have been taught differently, or maybe this was avoided in the tradition that you grew up with. But you can't argue this. The first person was a woman, Mary Magdalene. We know this to be true. Okay, step back for a moment from this. This is significant. Think about if you ever like, know someone who's gotten engaged. Do you know that when you get engaged, there's this private conversation? Who do we tell and when do we tell them? And you begin to make a list. And if you tell the wrong person before, you, you screwed up your family for generations, <laughs> right? Just think about that. There's a simple thing, right? That's a simple thing about you going, okay, who do we tell and, and, and when do we tell them? So think about the almighty God saying, so I have just saved all of mankind. Whoever believes in Jesus gets salvation. And God decides, all right, who hears first? Culture would say, well, take women and children off the list. And it's probably got to be one of the 12 disciples, not Judas anymore. <laughs> we think you're mad at Peter. You begin to go down the list, do you not? You begin to, maybe, maybe the, the mom of Jesus. But no, she's a woman. Can't. But God, you've got to see, but God decides he was at the, the whole party of who's equal and who's not. He makes sure that it's Mary. The God of details. And I know for some of you this wrecks your theology and philosophy of life and you were taught different and you've, you've been shown scriptures in the Bible that, where you've got a writer saying, hey, don't let women speak in church at all and all that. And that was written contextually about what was going on in that moment. That was not from God and he even specifies that and that's a whole other sermon. But I'm just telling you, you and I have got to wrestle with this. Maybe, maybe we've, we've had this wrong. And what Mary does is this. Mary used her freedom to help others find freedom. There's lesson two. What's she do with her freedom? She goes and tells people. It's really that simple. And you're like, what? does she know the whole Bible? No. In fact, culturally, you could argue that maybe she doesn't know how to read because women may not. You track? She tells people her story. In fact, outside of the Bible and other historical documents, we can pick up people, uh, a group of people going around, this group was going around telling people about who Jesus is. Let me tell you two people in the group. One was Mary Magdalene, freed from seven demons. You know who another person was? Lazarus, who used to be dead. And Jesus is like, that's no biggie. Come on out, man. Raises him. I'm telling you, if those two people alone are coming to Rapid City, I'm like, I'll buy a ticket. I don't care what it takes, but I want to hear their story, their encounter with Jesus. Look what Mary's been doing. She, she's freed from her sin. She's freed from evil, gets victory. And what she does with it says, all right, other people, other people. I'm going to spend the rest of my life helping other people. Well, yeah, but Mary, but, but society says women can't do it. She didn't seem to care. 
And you and I have got to stop caring about how old we are, how young we are, how much money we have, how much money we don't have, how much education we have, how much we don't have. We've got to stop saying, I don't know, the Bible memorized. Okay, tell your story. Let's let Mary teach us something today. We have freedom and others need it too. A quote from a John, it's a long one, just prepare yourself. But perhaps the strongest reason of taking the stories of the empty tomb absolutely seriously lies in the fact that it is women who play the leading role. It would have been very unlikely for anyone in the ancient world who was concocting a story, making it up to assign the principal part to women since in those times they were not considered capable, sorry, I didn't, uh, of being reliable witnesses in a court of law. It is assuredly much more probable that they appear in the gospel accounts precisely, precisely, because they actually, I'll sum it up, were there. Maybe you just needed to hear this today, and you've been doubting if God is real, if Jesus really came back to life. Uh, one ounce of proof for you is that women are included in the story, and the only reason you would have included women in the story was because it was true. They were willing to risk the story so that you could hear it, because it was that true. So what do we do with the rest of our lives? Galatians 5.13, uh, for you have been called to live in freedom, brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's what Mary did. Mary experienced the freedom and then began to go everywhere she possibly could, helping people know about freedom. Does that not sound, you're like, what's God's will in my life? Galatians 5.13 is a wonderful verse to memorize and spend the rest of your life applying it. Grateful. I'm grateful that our God is brave enough to tell us true stories no matter how culture receives them. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray for each one of us, Lord, if there is anyone in our lives that we've chosen not to listen to or treat as a human being because of whatever. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to be a group of people who simply sees people like you see people. Lord, help us to bring truth and grace everywhere we go. But God, thank you for this lesson. Thanks for including Mary so we could learn about freedom. Let it change us, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.